questions. We've got a bunch of them. I will continue to get them. Uh, so if you still want to submit, if something we say during this panel prompts more discussion, fire it away. I'll, I'll get it and we can, uh, we can discuss it. We won't probably be able to get to everything and we got variations on similar questions. So if your question sounds kind of similar, it's probably just because I combined it with something else. Uh, but before we get started, you know, we do these panels all over the place and when we're in an area where we know people and have friends, we often invite them to come join us on the panel. And we are thrilled today to have our brother Omar Johnson here. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Now, you are a pastor here in the area. What's your church's name? Temple Hills Baptist Church in Temple Hills, Maryland, which is about 30 minutes south uh, in PG County. And what's your church like? It is made up of Christians, which is the most important thing of a church. Praise uh, God. We love Jesus. Um, we're a smaller congregation, about 65 members. Uh, we're in a predominantly black neighborhood. So our neighborhood is about 85% black, and our church is about 80% black. Yep. Now, I ask that because it hasn't always been that way. Your neighborhood and the church have gone through sort of demographic shift over time. And when we had you on our podcast to talk about it, you shared an interesting story of something that uh, I believe it was a deacon had, had said about the prospect of having black members join this church in PG County. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah. So the church was founded in 1953, uh, late 50s to late 60s. The church is booming. So it's like 800 members. Uh, I come in 2009. It's like 12 people there on a Sunday. And uh, so one of the things you look at is like what has happened that has dwindled um, the church so drastically. And uh, so looking at records when I first came back to pastor the church in 2019, um, just kind of seeing the trajectory of the church. And so 2019, I come back, there's about 45 members in. Uh, but from the 60s on, uh, the neighborhood began to change. And so um, as black people began moving into the neighborhood, uh, a lot of white people began moving out of the neighborhood, a kind of social phenomenon sometimes labeled as white flight. And uh, as black people were moving into Temple Hills area, they had the very godly desire that Christians should have to join a church in their neighborhood. Uh, unfortunately, the, um, uh, the desire to join Temple Hills Baptist Church by some black residents of Temple Hills was not met with the welcome of many of the members of Temple Hills Baptist Church. And so when I came back, uh, what Austin is referring to in 2019, I just started looking at all the records I could find of the church. And just one, uh, yeah, just sobering reminder of the harshness and the hostility and the evil of racism was one former pastor recounting um, leaving a deacon's meeting in uh, 1970, 71. So sometimes people will talk about racism as it was over in the 50s and 60s. Well, 70s, we're still lingering. In the 80s and 90s, um, but this pastor is recounting a, a, a meeting he left in 1970. And one of the deacons storms out of deacon's meeting and says, the day we let and in join this church, you can fill in what the N word is, is the day I burn this church down. And you know, you just, I think you understand racism, you understand people use those words uh, kind of abstractly, uh, but to realize that this is a Christian, a professing Christian, not only a professing Christian, a deacon recognized by the membership, the congregation of a church. Um, we're a Baptist church, so it's congregational. So the church had voted this man in as a deacon. Uh, making that kind of statement about other image bearers and that kind of evil mentality, evil practice 
um, infiltrates and pollutes an entire church. And so I think that's one of the ways, one of the reasons uh, the church's membership dwindled over the next 30, 40 years. I think God judges sin. God doesn't like sin. Racism is sin. And God will judge sin because he's a good and just God. And yeah, in, in many ways, we're living in the afterflow of that. And in many ways, uh, we're trying to make sure that we don't reenact the sins of our forebears by now the church being uh, predominantly black, not having the same kind of attitude as other um, now minorities, whether that's white or Hispanics in our neighborhood. Uh, we want to make sure that they feel welcome because it's God's church, not ours. Amen to all of that. I'm just in the providence of God. He was going to he wanted to burn the place down. And now you're the pastor. Amen. I, yeah. When I got voted in, I was like, that man is probably rolling in his grave right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, we're going to get to some of these questions. And uh, thank you again for sending them in. I wanted to start with this one. And for whoever sent it, thank you for your honesty. They want to know that uh, whether talking about race just generally will just make things worse. Is this even a conversation worth having? And I thank you for your honesty in that because we can all point to examples of this conversation going badly. And I appreciate the desire not to want to make things worse. So I just ask you, is the only possible outcome of talking about race bad? No. Isaac says no. <laughs> no. I can give more, I don't know, okay, now I'm on. Okay, yeah. okay now you're on. Uh, no. No, that is not the only possible outcome, but it is a possible outcome. And listen, we have to, we have to keep in mind that um, where Christ calls, at times we're going to have to choose, every day we're going to have to choose Christ over comfort, or even Christ over pleasantness. And we just have to keep this in mind. Jesus said, I came bearing a sword. I did not come, I came to divide. And, you know, here we are united, we pray, Jesus came to divide. But it's true. I mean, on some level, we not, maybe a, we, um, how about this? We, I think a useful quote is that we want to prefer true and correct unity over, or sorry, cr true and correct division over corrupt unity. True and correct division is preferable over corrupt unity, meaning if we're just... If we're, if we're just not going to talk about it and like, hey, the deacon, like, man, it, 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 it makes the waters rough and like he gives a lot of money here. Yeah, God's judgment is going to, God is going to expose it on the last day. And, you know, and I think someone asking that question is, is meaning sincerely, like, of course, we don't want to um, accommodate false teaching or certainly that kind of vile thing. But yeah, sometimes you have to talk about hard things and sometimes it doesn't go well. But what I, want, what I want to encourage and exhort toward is that Jesus calls us to confront one another. This is a very basic Christian instinct. We have to forbear with each other, but if the relationship between my rule, and I think Jesus' rule, is if it affects your relationship, you need to say something. You need to say something. And the beauty of saying something is reconciliation is so sweet and so beautiful. It's better it's better than not saying anything and just forbearing and being growing bitter in your soul. Reconciliation is so beautiful, so powerful that you actually love the person more afterward than had you not said anything. So I think if we want, if we want the beautiful fruit of unity that Psalm 133 talks about, we're going to have to have hard conversations. And I think it's also worth just remembering that as if we're talking about majority white churches, 
ah, we've kind of tried that. For a long time, white churches weren't talking about race, weren't thinking about race, and we're sort of coming around to that, and we can see the fruit of us not having these conversations and not thinking about it because that vacuum was filled by non-Christians thinking about race and talking about race. And some of the bad ideas and solutions we see proposed to deal with racism might not have gotten hold in our culture the way, we ha the way they have if we would have been leading on this issue. So I just say that as an exhortation. Question of clarification. When you talked about reading the Bible differently, Isaac, are you saying the Bible means different things to people of different races? No, I'm, I'm profoundly not saying that. So uh, I appreciate that clarification. Scripture is clear. The doctrine would be the perspicuity of Scripture, that it's uh, certainly clear enough for us to understand uh, most everything, we, all that we need, 2 Timothy 3.16, for life, uh, doctrine, and godliness, and uh, that we may be equipped trained in righteousness, that we may reprove and exhort one another. So no, definitely not saying that. Um, I do think uh, we do bring whatever cultural lens we may have to the table, and that may affect how we interpret some things, uh, and those things may uh, play out differently in different communities. But no, God has spoken, God is clear, God's word applies to all people at all times. And when he says don't murder to these people, he means these people shouldn't mur murder either. Something I quote all the time is C.S. Lewis uh, wrote an introduction to a, an ancient book in which he extolled the virtues of reading old books. And he pointed out that Christians from different ages ask different questions, have different observations, and all of these different insights can inform each other and we all get better by reading broadly. And he was saying that historically. I think the same is true culturally, ethnically. We have things to learn from each other. And so that's just, I think that's stepping up. Um, do I need to apologize for racism of the past that I didn't commit? Does Omar want to go first? <laughs> uh, no. Um, I think we, uh, we, we land in dangerous territory if we uh, force people into uh, what seems like false confession. We need to confess real sins and acknowledge real sins. Uh, and so, though you might not personally have committed something, uh, there is, I think, uh, a lot of room to acknowledge that sin has been committed mm. and to lament that sin has been committed. And yeah, even I think one of Isaac's points, examine. So I think one of the things when we're confronted with wrongdoing, uh, we might immediately feel like I had no part of that, right? And so personally, maybe that event I had no part of, but one of the things that's good for us is just to examine are any of the kind of reverberating effects from that, any of the kind of children of that residing in my heart. And so no, I don't want people to uh, repent of sin that they haven't really committed. I think it is a good sobering reminder that sin has been committed, an examination of am I perpetuating any of those sins, even in thought or deed, and if that's true, to, to confess of those, but also to lament of um, the sins that have been committed. Uh, be thoughtful about asking other Christians around me. Um, I, I don't want to just kind of dislodge those things as solely living in the past, 
right? Uh, are those things still residing in the present? Am I perpetuating those things at all? If, if so, then I want to repent of that. Uh, but we don't want to kind of, I don't think it's helpful to tell someone you yourself did this and to force, require you to repent of um, this specific sin that perhaps people in your family or people uh, in the ethnic group that you belong to have committed, but you yourself haven't. So I don't want to, I don't want to force people into that. I do think it's a good reminder of the evil of sin and how sin doesn't just live in the past, all right? Sin has um, effects for generations. and want to be thoughtful about um, how it's spread and what those effects are. Yeah, I think this, I think that um, this shows the great poverty. I appreciate the question because it shows the great poverty of the world's uh, resources and solutions for this problem. The world only has the stick of the law and guilt and condemnation. So to make you try to do something, they try to do it by coercion. It'll make you feel bad enough and then you'll do it, as if, I can, as if any of us can convict one another's hearts. Um, and, and so, you know, you have different media saying, you know, if you're white and above this age, you are a racist and there's no escaping that. And that's just not true. That's just not who got, and so it produces this kind of defensiveness. I didn't do that. I didn't do it, and it's just like, but when we remember, this is why the, we praise God for the riches we have in Christian doctrine. Okay, I'm justified in Christ. What people say about me don't matter. Uh, and, and the reality is the Christian, we don't care about things simply because we did or didn't do them. Luke 10, that man is walking the Good Samaritan, a racial story in Scripture, uh, but I will save that sermon. Uh, that man is walking down the road, minding his business, the priest walks to the other side. The Levite walks to the other side. That man sees that bleeding man, and he helps him. Doesn't ask, like, man, I wonder, like, what he did or what, how he got here. He risks his own safety, and he's like, I'm going to help this man. Why? Because he's made in God's image. I'm made in God's image, and God loves this man. And so something I think that I've heard that's useful on this is just because it's not your fault, that doesn't mean it's not your fight. Just because it's not your fault, that doesn't mean it's not your fight. I do think, uh, as Christians, we also want to be careful, and Omar was getting to this, we do want to have corporate categories, right? So when you say, well, I didn't do that, you're thinking highly individualistically. Um, and yet, you have no, pro like, we have no problem <laughs> remembering the fact that Christ died on my behalf, and I'm benefiting from all his righteousness and, all his, and all, everything he's done for me. And so it's easier, you know, like I'm benefiting from all the ways people have made this community safe, my neighborhood safe. So it's easy to kind of be corporate-minded when it comes to the benefits. But when it comes to the negative stuff, man, I'm a part of this church, and this church has this history, and I went to that church, and I tithed to that church. And yeah, I wasn't the deacon who said who, whatever it was, but I didn't confront him either. I didn't challenge him either. And so maybe while, yeah, I didn't say that, I didn't do that, I never didn't let people join Temple Hills Baptist Church, somehow I was a part of the problem. And I think there, there, there needs to be humility to be like, okay, yeah, I, I, I didn't do whatever you're claiming I did. But are there any ways I might be a part of the problem? And that I think will, the Lord will bless that kind of search. And just to double click on that, yeah, I think, let's say someone says you, well, your grandfather was a racist. Uh, yeah, to Isaac's point, you may not, not, never have said some of the things that he said, but did I ever say anything to confront what he said, right? So, so giving someone a listening ear, so to, to sometimes I, to, uh, something to, to Austin's point earlier about 
Um, uh, I forgot what your first question was that you asked a while ago. Why have this conversation? Yeah, yeah, it's talking about it in and of itself. No, yes, because when in silence, when you sit in silence, sometimes you allow something to, to be bred. And so if someone's actions, you just kind of give a, a listening ear, right? In some ways, you're perpetuating the okayness of that. And so, yeah, I do think that we want to be, I may not have done this specific thing, but have I in some ways allowed it to be okay to be talked about or to be continued? And so we want to be mindful of that. This next question is for Omar. They're asking you to elaborate on white people attending black churches. And they write, I'm white, and my first reaction to the idea is that I don't want to intrude. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I think, a, a, a thoughtful kind of first step. Uh, I don't think in many black churches I've been, been at and in our church, like, it's never thought of as an intrusion. It's always like, praise the Lord. Often, like, praise the Lord, um, the, the, the horrible story a few years ago of um, the, the young white man, Dylan Roof, who went into a South Carolina church and shot, um, shot up their Bible study, their prayer meeting, their Bible study, um, killing, I forgot how many people, and wounding so many others. Uh, to hear that young boy filled with all that rage talk about how welcoming the black church was to him, I think that's the common experience. Um, uh, there's not an intrusion at all. Uh, I think Isaac said earlier in his talk um, about the shift often being black people going to majority white churches and seldom, not never, seldom being the other way, white coming to black churches. Um, to be kind of personal, biographical, uh, Isaac and I at one point were, were talking with some other brothers about maybe starting a, a church in D.C., uh, it was four of us, um, four young black guys who had pastoral ambitions, and we were thinking, let's do this together. And one godly pastor that we know, a white brother, uh, we, I think Isaac might have ran the, the idea by him, and he said, I love the, the idea. I love you brothers. I'm not sure it will work. And I, he wasn't meaning to be deflating. And he said, I'm not sure the white people would sit under all black leadership. And that's a yeah, he wasn't meaning to be uber critical. I think it was a kind of sober reflection of what's often the case. And I would love to see more um, white people join black churches. Is the experience different? Yes. Uh, would it take some time to adjust? Yes. Um, but that's often the case that black people are doing when they come to majority white churches. And so not an intrusion at all. Uh, again, what I said earlier about the most important thing about a church being that we love the same gospel and the same Jesus means that the most important thing is not the color of our skin. It's not our cultural experience. And so, no, you're not an intruder because you're not an outsider, right? You love Jesus, or if you are not a believer, you want to hear about Jesus. And so I think that that experience would be welcome, and I'd love to see more of that. The white members of our church have just talked about how they loved learning um, from a different, of a different culture and learning that we love the same Jesus as them, even if it's expressed in different ways. This next question, we don't have to get too personal here if we don't want to. They are uh, acknowledging that racism looks differently coming from your first talk than it did 50 years ago. There's not whites only signs or anything like that. Would any of us be willing to share examples of ways we have experienced that in our lives today? Yeah, I, pre I appreciate the question because um, in, in one of the questions we were answering earlier, I think this can be, um, yeah, I think it can be when we only have one definition of racism in our minds, like, oh, it's burning crosses, 
that doesn't happen anymore. So racism, therefore, does not happen anymore. Um, and one thing I do want to just make really clear is I think sometimes we can be quick to be like, oh, well, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's just not true. That, that, that's not true. That happens still today. Hate crimes are still a thing. And yeah, that's just, the Ku Klux Klan is not closed for business, unfortunately. Uh, they might have dwindled in their membership, and praise God, would he dwindle it faster. But it's not closed, so I just want to make that, uh, that caveat. Uh, and also, the only time I've, well, I've been called an N-word several times, but that was in D.C. It wasn't in Birmingham. So the city that fancies itself anti-racist, uh, yeah. Uh, so I want to say that. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I do want, I want to keep the, I also want to keep uh, the definition broader than simply individual things or individual slights that may have happened. I'm sure both of us can testify uh, to those. Uh, but just re talking about, again, the, the effects of the match being lit, of whole communities being distressed. Am I saying that uh, you know, personal character and all these things don't matter and aren't a part of the causation? No, but I'm not also saying that the past has no bearing on the present either. Uh, so I want to keep that in mind because I think a lot of the times we can, this is why I say in talking about race, we can look at behavior, certain individual actions, and say, well, those people act like animals. Mm. And I want to say maybe they act like animals because they've been put in a cage. And the cage is really hard to see. But we've got to step back and be like, well, that whole community is boxed in. Oh, this is striking. We came back to D.C. I was, I was just driving Austin around my neighborhood. He was like, I'm struck by the predominance of liquor stores. Now, is that, is that just unintentional, that liquor stores are, you know, littered on every corner, but you drive over to, you know, nice whatever neighborhood in Maryland, and there's no liquor stores to be found? Anyway, uh, so I think, uh, I think those are some of the examples presently. Um, but I do want to just say, I mean, there's the, there's the reality of being, being a minority in a space where there are, there are real slights. There are real, like, wow, okay, that's what you think, or that's what you've said. Um, and I have to make a decision about that. So yeah, I won't get too personal on that. Um, or how about this, maybe to Omar's example. So I was in Chapel Hill at the time and a young, a young sister was, uh, was visiting and uh, she said, you know, where, where I, I'm thinking about coming here and I'm looking for a church and I, I recommended some and she said, wait, that's not like a black church, right? And I mean, she's my age, and I, I just remember thinking, what if it were? What would be wrong with that? I don't. When people tell me about church, I'm not like, is that a white church? No. Like, uh, it's a church. So anyway, I'm trying to decide whether or not to share this example. I think I'm going to go for it because I think it's instructive. I'm, as you can see, a white guy. My wife is black, and she's very pretty. And we have been married five years. We lived recently. Uh, until recently in Charlotte, North Carolina. Multiple times, always happened to gas stations, strangers would drive by, roll down their window, and yell something nasty at us about our relationship. One time when it happened, uh, it was a black person in the car yelling at my wife to ditch me and get a real man, something to that effect. And I laughed my wife was shaking, she was so upset. And I think that difference in reaction is instructive because as a white man in this country, my dignity has never been challenged 
institutionally. It's always been affirmed. And in that sense, it, there wasn't really anything that person was threatening me with. It wasn't a threat I had to take seriously at any level. It was just something I could shrug off. My wife, on the other hand, having grown up black, knows what it's like to experience those kind of slights in a different way. And that's why she was so upset, even in seeing it applied to me. You mention humility as a virtue that serves us well on this issue. How can we cultivate humility, both individually and corporately? Pray more. Oh, we beat you to it. I was gonna say that, and I mean, I know that's what we're gonna do, and, and I was gonna say it like that, you know. And we laugh, but I do wanna challenge us. I think it's really hard to keep praying for the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus gave us Luke 18. The, par the, par the parables are baffling, intentionally so. But every now and then, Jesus gives, like, hey, this is why I'm telling you this one. In Luke 18, he tells us, I'm telling you this one so that you might not lose heart and keep praying. And it's a situation about justice. And so I just want to, you know, we, we think like, oh, prayer is like kind of, yeah, that's what I should do. I'm a Christian. But I really want to do something. And I just think we've got to lose that altogether. Nothing can be done. So this one pastor said, I'm undergoing a shift in my ministry where as I'm going from seeing prayer as vitally supporting the work I'm doing, he's leaving that to seeing prayer as the work itself. Whereas if I'm not praying, the work I'm actually doing is nothing but husks and straw. It's empty. It's a shell. And so am I saying don't do other things? No. But what I'm saying is that the Bible's perspective is that prayer is not the last resort. It is the first resort. The Bible's perspective is that prayer is not just like, a, oh, well, now we're up against the wall. It's that before we even go out to battle, we are committing ourselves to you. Second Corinthians 1 He's just like, Paul's like, you guys got to pray for us. And that is, that's the first thing he asks when he talks about all, this, all these traumatic things he's been through. Pray for us. And so I just, I mean, of course, this sermon might be expected on some level. But I think if we committed, I mean, just commit to praying about it every day for a month. And you're going to see how hard it is. You're going to see how weak your faith is, how weak your flesh is. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is super weak. So I want to commit. This is something everyone can leave this conference in doing. And imagine if God took, you know, 75 souls and 30 of them were banging on the door of heaven every day saying, God, we want humility on this issue. Do whatever you have to do. Break us in half if you need be. But break us, please, for the grace and the glory of your name. And I just want to say, brothers and sisters, you know, prayers don't have to be long. Jesus actually says the shorter the better. <laughs> like, and so you're just like, just Pray about it. Pray about it and see if things don't start to change. See if things, if, see if you don't start to change uh, in the midst of it. So I do think, I, want, I just want to say, you know, prayer, prayer is an indicator of how much you are relying on yourself as opposed to God. And it is really hard to keep praying for the same thing. And yet I think that is what Jesus would have us do, to keep praying about things uh, and keep bringing them to the throne of heaven. Uh, I just think, especially as it relates to Christians in our churches that we have um, disagreements with and uh, growing in humility, is just to realize that we're all in process. 
And so I love Paul's words, familiar words. Uh, what Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he says in Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we just need to have confidence that the Lord who saves us is sanctifying us, that this brother or sister in our church who said something that has rubbed me the wrong way, who has these views that we are strongly opposed to, who reacts to a tragedy, tragic event in a way that we feel is insensitive, we need to trust that if they are brother and sister in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is actually working in them and that the Lord is growing them. And by God's grace, who they are today may not be who they will be two years from now. And by God's grace, who I am today won't be who I am two years from now. And part of the way the Lord might be sanctifying me is through the kind of comments or the relationship that's hard with them. And so just trusting that the Lord uh, is working on all of us uh, including that brother or sister who you might disagree with or who might have different views. And you and I are not perfect either, right? We need to grow as well. And can I add one more on this? Because humi- I mean, humility is like the whole ballgame. So this is, this is worth spending time on this. Um, one more thing is confession. And I don't just mean to God. I mean to one another. Mm-hmm. James says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Um, we got to admit embarrassing things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the better... The, the more you respect the person, that's the person you want to be talking to. Like, I can, I mean, Austin and I are best, these two are two of my best friends, um, and I confess things to them. And I also want to confess things to, you know, Mark Dever, whoever I really look up to, to be like, hey, I'm embarrassed, and this is wrong, and I have to bring it to light. That is, you. and so when you're, just be, beware. When you are praying, Lord, humble me, that's a dangerous prayer. God's going to, he will delight to answer that prayer. But I think sometimes we think of humility, it's going to taste like Skittles. Like, oh, this is great. Uh, and like, man, it's going to taste like death. Because what it will require is the death of your ego, the death of your preference, the death of your opinion. And so some of us, we need, so at Cap, or, uh, I mean, I'll just share this testimony because it's beautiful. In Capitol Hill, a sister was confessing, I'm racist. I know it. Like, and like, I'm racist in the definition we all could get on board with. And she talked to one of the elders about that, and he was like, would you be up to talk to this couple about it, this black couple in the church? And she went and confessed that. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. in 2024 confessing that to someone, and it was a beautiful sight. And so we are going to have to get low and be like, to be willing to admit, I don't understand. To be willing, I have these nasty opinions about this conversation. We've got to, confession is the only path forward to life. Uh, and so I just want to commend, man, you got you to gotta drop the ego and you got to admit some embarrassing, not the like, oh, like, here's a sin that everyone commits and it's not really that big of a deal. Start admitting honest things. Without honesty, there will not be life. Wondering if you can expand more on the idea of lament in our corporate life together. And this person notes parenthetically, we Presbyterians and sometimes the white church are often not great at this. Well, if it encourages you, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, I think Americans generally are not great at this. I think that's right. Because uh, Americans, we like, I mean, we like, we like conquering, we like pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, we like succeeding, and that's not... Um, those aren't bad things in of, in of themselves, but 
Uh, and we are, we're highly individualistic, you know? We like our individual rights. Again, individual rights are a good thing, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't take that too far. Uh, so when you're highly individualistic, you're looking out for yourself. Um, and you lament your own problems, but you know, your problems are, those are your problems, they're not mine. And yet where the Bible says, Philippians 2, we heard it, you know, we, heard, we were hearing it earlier, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. This is why it doesn't, who cares if it's your fault or not? Your neighbor's laying on the side of the road bleeding. And so uh, in terms of lament, how we can get better about it even corporately, one thing we do uh, uh, at Iron City is we try to have every now and then have a prayer of lament uh, where we're, we're lamenting something together as a church. And that's a really beautiful time. Another thing we do is we try to share, let people share their stories and share the hard parts of their stories so that we can weep with them uh, just as a church in the service. So those are just two small little practices uh, that might be useful. A prayer of lament where it's just, it's a part of our rhythm as a church. Every fourth or whatever, eight, every eighth week, we're doing a prayer of lament about this issue. Uh, and we're not just responding to something really bad that happened, though that is also a great thing to do uh, in terms of lament. Uh, just following up, I think um, we try to train uh, our congregation, and it's hard because you've got to train yourself. Uh, when things are plaguing uh, your society or your country or your, your, your community, I think it's really easy um, to complain about, you know, these young people are going crazy right now. Well, instead of complaining to other people, uh, we need to take those complaints to the Lord. And so just, just that little step of like, hey, I don't want to just be out here throwing darts at the issue, right? It's easy to kind of build an echo chamber of all the issues. I need to be going to the Lord and just kind of laying those things to him. And so just learning that practice. If I'm going to complain, let it be to the Lord. He hates the thing far more than I do, and he actually can do something about it. If you're interested in this topic more, I believe it's out on the book table, but one book to commend to you is In Church As It Is in Heaven by Timothy Paul Jones and Jamal Williams. Um, they wrote a book about uh, implementing times of lament in their church on this issue specifically. And they share things that went well, things that did not go well, um, but it's an encouraging read. And, and one more uh, resource too. Uh, that one is great. We love that one. There's, just, there's good resources out there. A book called Weep With Me. Weep with me, how lament opens the door to racial reconciliation. Uh, and I, just one more thing, two more things on lament real quick. One, the Psalter is 40% lament. So you, God has given you the word. So like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to complain. God has given you the complaints. And you can just pray these aloud to God. Um, and I also think lament is such a useful category and resource and skill for the Christian because it allows you to say, hey, that's not my fault but I can still be sad about it. I should still be sad about it. Just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you shouldn't be sad about it. Like, oh, this is terrible how this neighborhood has been ransacked and distressed and left, for, left to their own devices. Like, this is worthy of lament, of yeah, of complaint, yeah. I think this might have to be our last question, but someone wants to know if you ever get tired of answering the question about what it's like to be black in a Presbyterian church. Uh, uh, we talked about honesty. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a human. Jesus, we all get tired. Jesus got tired. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't therefore ever re-engage into the conversation. Um, but yeah, we, we all, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, 
and I am just a man with limited strength, limited resources, limited patience, and I pray that God would grow it. So I wanted to ask that question of Isaac because I knew he would answer it humbly and honestly. Uh, but also to point to a resource he developed that's on our website. It's an article called Before, I, Before You Ask Your Black Friend About Race. And what the article gets at is something that well-meaning white folks can do unintentionally to our minority friends is treat them like a resource more than a friend. And so when we have questions and when we want to learn, and these are sincere and good desires, we go running to our friends and demand that they give answers or speak as representatives for an entire group of people uh, in ways that aren't always helpful. And so I appreciate you asking the question and I appreciate Isaac's answer and even just some of the things he talked about uh, in ways we can do is we can be better prepared for those conversations so that we're treating our friends like friends and having helpful informed conversations with them rather than just treating them like a resource. Amen. With that, I think I'm going to turn it over to Isaac here for our time of corporate prayer, because we don't just want to talk about prayer, we actually want to spend time praying together. Amen. How much time do we have? Uh, Ryan, do we have 10 or 15 minutes for this? Half an hour. Did someone just say half an, did someone just say half an hour? 30 minutes? Great. Good. Excellent. Uh, we're going to use all of them uh, once I find my notes. Uh, so, one second. I don't know if we can make that bigger, but my notes count. <coughs> Ah, here they are. Great. All right. Corporate prayer. This is the best part of the evening. The one we will be tempted to, to uh, yeah, think the least of, and I think the, work, the, most, uh, the most gets done in this time. Um, before we pray, you know, beloved, I'm not preaching here tomorrow. I, uh, uh, and that's simply only because, uh, yeah, Capitol Hill snatched it up. Uh, but uh, so hopefully this isn't my last trip here. I'm going to read something slash preach it just to give us some confidence in prayer before we embark upon this together. Uh, it's something I wrote while I was traveling once, and I was reflecting on Hebrews 4.16, which says, Let us with confidence, with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And this is what I wrote. We, believers, often approach God timid, with a sense of guilt, as if we don't deserve to be asking of him. But that's just it. That's the wonder of it. We don't deserve to be asking of him, but Jesus does. That's why we pray in his name. And yet so often, sisters and brothers, we ask hesitantly of God, Christian, do not do that. After all, God has an infinite supply of grace to offer. And so when it comes to asking for God's grace, even on this issue, do not lobby puny prayers into the courtroom of heaven. Make no petite petitions for grace, asking for, only a, asking for a little grace because you think yourself to have a tiny God who tires of hearing from you about your big problems. Beloved, are your problems large? Are your needs large? God is still larger. 
There is nothing larger than him. You need only let your requests and the frequency of which you cast them reflect something of the size of God's love and heart and goodness toward you. Christian sister, Christian brother, the reality that calms our anxious hearts and helps us see clearly through the fog of our own concerns is that God has endless supplies of grace. So don't come to him thinking he's cheap or broke, or hesitant to give, as if he has a limited supply of grace that he's worried about running out of and therefore needs to ration accordingly, lest he overdistribute. Such a mindset dishonors God as it portrays his person unwilling, his heart and his capacities and resources limited, but nothing could be falser. No, quite the contrary. The striking truth, beloved, is that God is independently wealthy in grace. He is rich in mercy, and even better, he's happy to share. In other words, he is as generous with grace as he is rich in grace. Beloved, rest your soul on the pillow of this glorious fact. The demand of your sin could never deplete the supply of God's grace. So ask for lots of grace. Asking for a lot shows you believe God has a lot and is kind enough to honor your trembling request to give you a lot, and such asking therefore honors God. And so, friends, pray only in accord with reality that God is infinite in grace and generosity, and then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. If you do, you will find, a da- you will find your daily manna to be more than enough, for you can be sure that it comes from a heavenly bakery that is open twenty. Four, seven. Beloved, do you want to pray to this God? To this God. We get to talk to God. It ought to strike you. You, get, you can talk to God at any time. To God. I am tired of going to conferences where all we do is talk and sing. And I'm thankful for that, but where are the conferences where we gather together and pray? Where we grab the throne of grace with Jacob, and we, will, when we say to God, we will not let go until you bless us. Let's pray without ceasing, friends. I've got a few different ways we're going to do that, a few different ways we're going to pray. And the first is we're just going to take some time to pray silently. As we talked about earlier, we live in a very loud world, so let's just take a couple of minutes to pray anything your heart is carrying in regards to what you've heard today. Let's take a minute or two to pray silently, asking the Lord to help us when it comes to understanding and believing and applying what we've learned together. So just silent prayer to begin with, and I'll I'll continue to lead us through this time. Okay, friends, the next way we're going to pray is in small groups. Uh, I've got a few prayer prompts that I'm going to share. If you grab uh, the person you came with or two or three folks around you, uh, my fellow introverts, I know you'll hate this, but if you just pray through these prompts uh, with a couple of folks around you, in terms of what to pray for, you can write this down, uh, and I think they're right up here. So we've got them, but I'll just go through them real quick. Let's praise God. For saving people from every tribe and tongue. Praise God for saving every tribe and tongue. People from that. Let's confess and lament the times we've lived out of step with this truth. And I think of Peter in Galatians 2. So apostles can even get this wrong. Peter was not understanding, or at least he gave it, he caved into the fear of man. 
uh, along some ethnic lines uh, when it came to associating with the Gentiles, and Paul rebuked him, clearly in Galatians 2. So let's confess and lament the times we've lived out of step with the truth, that God really has saved people from every time and time. Let's thank God for the progress that has been made. We rob God of glory when we act as if no progress has been made. Uh, you know, so I've talked about the house being on fire, but when it comes to racism, God in his mercy has put out so many fires in this nation's history. Let's praise him for that. And let's ask him to do more than we ask or think or imagine as regards diversity, mercy, and justice in our own churches and communities, especially in light of what we've heard today. So, uh, boo boo uh, different? Hmm. Those are different. Uh, that's okay. Um, those are all really good things to pray for, too. Uh, so, uh, you can just pray for any of what I just talked about, and it won't be wasted time. So, let's break out into uh, groups of two or three, and let's pray together. Thank you. Beloved, I hate interrupting prayer, and I know I'm the one who, uh, yeah, called you to do it, uh, but for the sake of time. Um, and the joy is we can always do this. We can always gather together in prayer. <clears throat> I'm going to move, I'm going to move us on, <clears throat> and we're going to pray as a group together now, okay? So we started, you know, individually, small groups. We're going to now pray together as a congregation. Um, and I'm going to see if we have some volunteers, some volunteers, okay? I'm not going to call on anyone uh, who are willing to stand and pray briefly. Let us meditate on the word briefly for a second. Okay, briefly. Like a few sentences. I wonder if you're willing to stand and pray from where you from where you are about the following things, and I guess maybe Omar and Austin, y'all can run them up. Okay, great. Would someone be willing to pray that God would do more than we ask or think and imagine for churches, not even just Wallace, but for churches in the DMV area when it comes to living and loving across lines of ethnic difference? Which are these requests? That makes sense. Um, anyone willing to stand up and pray that God would do more than we ask or think or imagine? Excellent. Marty. Okay, great. Uh, would someone pray that we wouldn't live in fear when it comes to talking about hard things like unity, diversity, and ethnicity? That we wouldn't live in fear. Okay, thank you. I, I'm just going to say, I'm struggling to call y'all by your first names. You're just like, Mr. Hemphill, thank you. Okay, uh, just Mr. Ravenhorse, thank you. Uh, just, it, yeah, uh, I don't typically have this struggle, but uh, I'm home. So, would someone pray that we would be humble as we discuss these things, that we would have the mind of Christ among us, considering others more significant than ourselves? Thank you, Lily. Would someone pray that our greatest allegiance would be to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to our political party? Often the race conversation gets messy because we think more with our base than our Bibles. 
And we've got to be careful of that. Even to that 10-speed conversation, we're going to have to, we can't just be taking all our information from CNN. We can't just be taking all our information from Fox News. We're going to have to diverse our thinking, diverse our sources, and rely on the text more than any other pundit out there. Anyone willing to pray for that, that we would put more reliance in God than our political party? I know that's a more spicy one. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Uh, would someone pray that we would be faithful to act on what we heard at this conference? It's really easy to come to conferences. This was exciting. Thank you, brother. All right. Uh, okay, so a mic is going to come to you. And the people, if you just want to stand where you are right now, someone's gonna, someone will bring you a mic. Um, so Marty, Jim, Lil, if just stand where you are. That's what, and then you're going to pray from where, you are, from where you're at. And please just be brief. So we, because we got one more time of prayer. So if each of you pray for five minutes, let us do the math, 20 minutes. Uh, so let's just pray briefly and let's pray together. And what I encourage people to do at Iron City if, you, if, if those of you praying could just say, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end, let's all say amen. Amen is just a way of saying, I agree. Marty, you want to lead us, and then we'll just work across the room. Dear Father in heaven, you're such a great God, and we've been reminded of that today, that you are the sovereign Lord and King of the universe and are able to do great things because you're such a great God. And so we ask that you would do great things in the churches in this area uh, beyond the things that we have conceived or they have conceived, that we might better become more like this great glorious church uh, described in Revelation from every uh, kindred, tongue, and tribe. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you've said that perfect love casts out fear. We love you, and we pray that when we confront the, the need or the desire to talk across racial boundaries, ethnic boundaries, boundaries that have differences, that you would help us be fearless, help us to focus on the joy we find in learning new things and uh, seeing ourselves differently and understanding things about us. And uh, may we be motivated by uh, that we are, we are engaging more in the image of you as we reach out to others who are different from us. Please cast out our fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord God, you tell us to not be afraid, for you are with us. Father God, it is scary to ask you to search my heart, but I ask you to search all of our hearts. I ask you to go to the deepest parts of our hearts and humble us and draw us closer to you and make us more and more like you. Um, I pray that you would have us um, consider others above ourselves that, um, that, and that your Holy Spirit would enable us to do that, Father, because in our own strength, we're just not able to do that. We pray that um, you would abate our fears and to help us trust you in the good work that you have for us as you humble us and draw us closer to you. I pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Great God, we pledge allegiance to your kingdom and its righteousness. And I ask God that you would continue to pour out your spirit into this good church and wash her and cleanse her as she continues to want to be unstained by this toxic uh, 
bipartisan political divide, God, to the end that you may be honored and glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we praise you for who you are. You're a God of action. When we've sinned against you, it's you that took action to meet us, to pay for our sins, and to reconcile us back to you, oh God. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. You were comfortable in your home. You had the perfect church, and yet you left heaven, and you took action. You came down to earth and lived as a man. Praise you for your action. Lord, we pray that you will enliven our hearts. Wake us up, Lord. Make us men and women of action for you, Jesus Christ. Lord, when Peter denied that he even knew you, you took action. You reconciled him back to yourself over a meal of fish. Lord, when the woman at the well came for a drink of water, you took action and you told her about some living water. And she was one who men like you didn't talk to in those days, just like the race, racial challenges we have today. Lord, help us to take action by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, the last thing we're going to do is we're just going to close um, with uh, a couple of our uh, speakers closing our time in prayer. Uh, so how about this? Omar, you pray. Austin, you pray. I will pray. Is Ryan in the room? I don't know if he ran somewhere. Oh, there you are. Ryan, you want to come up and then close us in prayer? And then, beloved, uh, we will be done, and Ryan or Marty can give us any instruction. Omar, you want to start us? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. Uh, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Uh, Father, we pray that um, though we deserve your wrath, uh, Lord, we praise you for your grace, and we pray, Lord, even more boldly that you would continue to be gracious to us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, shower us with favor, with understanding, with wisdom, with change and transformation in our own hearts, in our own churches, transformed attitudes, uh, Lord, we pray that you would move us from pride to humility. We pray that you would move us from distrust to trust. We pray that you would uh, warm up our cold hearts. Uh, and Lord, that we might move towards one another in love. That we might speak the truth in love. That we might listen in love. And Father, we pray that you would so uh, transform the narrative uh, between ethnicities in America and in churches in America. Uh, that your saving power might be known to all the nations. Mm, yes. Lord, that uh, the peoples in uh, countries in Asia and in Africa, Lord, uh, where there's ethnic hostility between peoples, uh, Lord, might see your great work even in our country and that they might give you praise for your work here and also know that you are still powerful to work there. Uh, Father, we pray that your work in those countries might encourage us uh, to trust in your goodness and your power. Uh, Lord, we trust that your spirit is powerful and alive. The same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead resides in us. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you would kindle our hearts uh, to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to love those whom you've made in your image. Uh, Lord, we do that imperfectly. Help us, we pray, to do that better. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for making a way for this ministry to come to this church and be with these people um, and just enjoy some fellowship. Lord, I pray for these dear saints. I pray that you protect them um, from the evil one. I pray that you protect them from cultural forces in an election year where things historically have been hard for Christians to practice unity in their churches. I pray that it would not be so here that Wallace would be united and united around the gospel, um, that they would agree in the Lord and <laughs> that you would give them the, the grace and the wisdom to figure out the rest of it. Um, but Lord, I thank you that uh, in Christ they are one. I pray that you would make that increasingly so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Father, I pray with personal thanks in my heart to you for these dear sisters and brothers. Lord, I have spoken in many rooms by your grace, but none filled with people who have known me since I was in the womb, since I was in the nursery, since I was in their Sunday school classes, at their junior camps, at their victory jams, at their Labor Day retreats. And Lord, I thank you that you have not forsaken this church. Lord, I thank you that you love this congregation. We do thank you for how my mom loved this congregation. And we thank you for a time that she would be pleased with. We thank you. We receive it as a gift from you. Not a product of our ingenuity or piety, but as a gift from you, from above. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we say amen to these prayers, these requests, um, the many things that we have heard and we lay them at your feet. Um, we're mindful uh, that you are God, as we've even discussed this morning, who forgives many. And uh, thinking about the parable of two servants, um, you forgive 10,000 talents worth of debt, which is uh, another word for infinity, a zillion. Um, but you also set consequences to receiving such mercy and such grace that we could not receive that and not go extend that to others. And so would we hold both of those in tension as you do? Um, because that's what your grace does. It transforms us. So as we leave here, uh, I pray that we would be mindful of the things that we've learned. We would think about them and it wouldn't be such as seeds on a soil or a hard ground that birds would come and snatch away, but they would sink deeply into our hearts that we'd meditate on them but that they would move us to action, to reciprocate the very grace and mercy and justice, all the things that you are about and have done through your son Jesus on our, our account. We have received those things. May we be givers of those things as well. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, round of applause, please, for these gentlemen up here.
We have 10 minutes, so we're going to combine a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, I'm going to remind you all to fill out these surveys. They are helpful to, to us and our Revelation 7-9 committee as they continue to do and offer things like this for Wallace, but the community as well. You can drop them in the boxes there. We're going to combine. We're going to, we're going to have a, um, a thank offering here in a second. I'm going to explain. That while that's going on, I want to also um, dismiss those who have kids uh, in the nursery uh, to go grab those children as well. It's a time to do that. When we come back or when the offering's done, I'll close this in a brief, brief prayer, and we will be dismissed. And then for those who are involved with the youth lunch afterwards can move to that. So uh, just uh, here's, here's how this works. QR codes, y'all are somewhat familiar with that. You can use that to give online. When you do that, it's going to ask you, because it's going to Wallace Presbyterian Church, there's going to be a little box that says, would you like to make this a, a, a monthly uh, donation. Check that box. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Everything that's going into, we'll be able to keep records toward to PayPal from now till 2 p.m. will go directly to this ministry. And I'll say this as somebody that's, you know, gone and spoken at places. Uh, there typically is a speaker's fee. Their organization does not allow that. So this isn't on top of a speaker's fee. This is our gift to them, and I don't want that necessarily to make you feel guilty about not giving or whatever. I just want you to know that, that this is our chance to give to them what they have given, so, given, given to us in this time. And I just pray that we would do that generously as you feel led to do that. And you can, again, do this through this QR code. Do this um, up until 2 p.m. You can write a check. You can give cash. And I'll even tell you this. If you come tomorrow to Wallace and say, hey, I just want to give this to those guys, you can give it to me or, or any of the leaders from the Revelation 7-9 committee. We will make sure they get that. Um, but we just want to send them out of here um, in, in, in one way, just blessed and loved and cared for. And one of the ways we can do that is to send them with some, um, some offerings. So that's what this is about. So if we could ask now for um, the ushers to pass out those plates. And as you are giving, if you'd like to go also collect your children from, um, uh, from where they are. And then I'll close this briefly after we collect our offering. Thank you so much.
Thank you all again for being here and for taking the time out of your Saturday morning to be be here. Um, Let me pray for us now, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we've said, go with us. Um, Continue to do the work that you promised to complete, that you've already started. And do that through us as individuals. Do that corporately through us in our churches and in our communities. Um, that we may begin to see uh, change in the, way, in the ways and areas we need to see that, that we'd continue to be uh, people who, as, as those who don't know you, look at us, recognize us by the way that we love one another and the way that we love the place that you have put us, that our love would land somewhere and that that would transform that area as your gospel has transformed our hearts. Do this for your glory, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Thank you again for being here. You are dismissed.